welcome to the Building Bridges podcast, a platform for bettering LDS interfaith relationships. I'm your host, Taylor Niebergall. When it comes to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, having a faith crisis can sometimes create a rift in relationships between those who leave and those who stay. The goal of this podcast is to equip listeners on either side of that rift with the tools that they need to start building bridges, crossing chasms, and ultimately, healing relationships through mutual respect and understanding. Each episode will feature bold perspectives as we explore topics that can create these rifts, validate the struggles that they pose, and discuss tools you can use to literally bridge the gap. Let's get to building! Hello, my fellow bridge builders, and welcome to the Building Bridges podcast. Today, we are exceptionally blessed to have my friend, Emily Salisbury, here with us. Emily, you are an honored guest because you are the Emily that helped this whole idea take flight. Welcome. Well, you've done all the work. I was just (laughs) like, hey, what if we, what if we did this thing? And you're like, okay, I'll do this thing. (laughs) You make it sound so immediate, but it really was such a long process and it was very much thanks to you. So you should all that's true it was a bit of a process it was a heck of a process of course most of that most of that process was me just saying like I don't know if I can do this and you're like I want to do this and I'm like I don't know (laughs) the fact that I didn't move forward very quickly was because of fear fear (laughs) oh that's very true huh yes I like your sound effects. Thank I mean, you. since, I mean, we are literally just weeks away from Halloween and mm-hmm. I had mentioned this to Taylor, but <laughs> this is like one of, this is like my literally the first year in my life. And how old am I? How old am I, Taylor? You're probably I don't know. 28. I'm 28. Yes, that's right. I'm 28. And this is the first year in my life that I've been excited, like genuinely excited for Halloween. I find that so crazy. I know it is crazy, but. But well, I mean, but thank you. I. (laughs) And it's thanks to Emily that she even said, let's do an episode about fear and you can release it around Halloween. And I was like, oh, that's just perfect. I don't know if you knew this, but I'm a very cheesy person. That's what. I'm a, I'm a cheese person and I'm a bit of a nut. I'm like a nut covered in cheese today with my little, my little Walmart no. haunted house. <laughs> but nuts and cheese go really well together. So it's good. That's true. Wait, yeah. nuts and cheese? I don't know if I've had nuts and cheese together. Yes, nuts and cheese and fruit. And we could be like a whole charcuterie board. So do you want to okay. add something fruity yeah. today? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the fruit. You can be the nuts and cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to stop talking about charcuterie boards. Anyway, Emily and I will be talking about the way that fear can prevent us from really embracing what it means to be a bridge builder. And I guess in that sense, Emily, what do you think it means to be a bridge builder? What do I think it means to be a bridge builder? That is, that is a good question. Um, Well, let's see, for me, for me, it means that, that we are continually trying to find ways to connect with people who, who differ in some way to us, right? I mean, if we are trying to connect with people who are on, who are on the same metaphorical side of the bridge, then it's going to be pretty easy, right? Because we're like, we can like, literally just like, reach out and poke them, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're like, hey, we're on the same side of the bridge and that's pretty easy. But if you are trying to connect with somebody who is on the opposite side of the bridge than you in some metaphorical sense, in this, in this situation, you know, talking specifically about belief stances within the LDS church, right? Right. Then that's going to be difficult. And there's a lot of fear that's associated with placing each um, piece of lumber and, it's it's hard it's hard like 
you're worried about what people think about you on the other side of the bridge, as well as people that are on your side, because some people who are in your same situation, whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, yes, faith, like, they're like, what are you doing? Why do you even care? Like, mm-hmm. we're, we're good. We're right. We're the mm-hmm. ones that are right on this side of the bridge. So why do you, why are you even putting effort into establishing communication with people who are wrong? Right. That's really so, cool that you would bring that up. I hadn't even thought about that, but that I think also is a big underlying fear. Crazy, crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, Emily, why yeah. don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your faith transition, your faith journey. And if you wouldn't mind, why don't you tell us what role fear has played throughout that transition? Mm, that's a really good question. So um, I would say my faith transition began around uh, 2018. No, I would say it started in 2020 was when it really took, you know, took sale <laughs> when I took sale in the, in the faith <laughs> crisis and the t- faith transition phase of my life. But, but it really was rooted in, um, in 2018 and some things that happened during that year. It, it, like the specific event that happened was when the 2015 policy, um, uh, the policy that was excluding uh, children of gay couples to be baptized into the church until they were 18. And then it was reversed in, well, it was pretty much reversed. Like the wording was a little bit different. They didn't just come out and say like, we are like revoking this. It was more of like, we have further revelation that um, this is what we're going to do. And it was basically just reversing what was done previously in 2015. And at that point, like I look back on that now and I'm like, good on them for realizing that it wasn't working and that they needed to do something different, you know? But at that point in my life, I was just super confused because my view of what prophets were was very black and white. It was very like president Nelson literally speaks for God, you know, and he literally like anything that happens as far as, you know, policy changes or anything like that, like this is literally God will. And so I was like, wait, God, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> like what, what is, what is happening here? Why, why is this, why, why does this feel so unsteady? So like, I don't know. Does that make sense? I, yeah, I would even say like, would you say that you had a fear of like, man, if, if God is doing this and I don't understand that that was a fear of trusting in God or just a fear in trusting in church policy? Probably more in church policy and in the prophets. So that was really like the root of my faith crisis was my trust in the, in the prophets. You know, it's actually been said that uh, a faith crisis is more or less of a trust, a, a crisis of trust, a trust of trust in, in prophets, in the church, in, in the doctrines and the policies. Right. And and in that way, yeah, like I was, I was scared that my trust, um, at least in the way that my paradigm was rooted, it was shaky. <laughs> you know, it was, it was not working anymore. And that just scared the living crap out of me. Right. So yeah, like that was, that, that was a big part of my process at that point. And, and that's why I put it off for a long time. I put it, I put it off for two years. I basically just sat on it for a while and I was like, well, you know, at some point in my life when I am not being a music therapy intern and I have like more time on my hands, (laughs) then I will maybe dive into this and figure out what it is I really believe and what do I think about, about prophets and the church and yada, yada, yada. Right. But I just didn't have time. I didn't have space in my life. And I was scared. I was literally scared to approach that process because it meant everything for me, right? I was born and raised in the church. I like my family is super, super strong in the church. I have been super active my whole life and the church has been a huge part of my life. And so to, to approach 
that in more of a neutral way to approach my faith in a, in a neutral way and really question everything that I believed. Like, holy cow, like that scared the crap out of me. So, yeah. Yeah. I loved how you yeah. even said, you know, a lot of people would say a, a faith crisis is almost like a trust crisis because I've yeah. started a process of thinking more about using the word trust interchangeably with the word faith. And so that kind of resonated mm. quite a bit to me to hear you say, like, I'm not sure who I can trust anymore. And I think a lot of what is a contributor to fear is unknown or things that are out of our control. You know, I love being in control. I love knowing what's going to happen. And if that was mm-hmm. taken away from me in a grand scale of what you were experiencing, I could only imagine the fear because then my imagination is yeah. running wild. I don't have control anymore. I don't know what's going to happen. I think the most scared I've ever been is just thinking about the unknown in general. Like what is college going to be like? <laughs> I don't know. That was really scary for me when I was in high school, you know, just mostly because I just had no idea what to expect. And so when right. your foundation of expectations is kind of ripped out from under your feet, you have to gaze into this unknown place and it's really natural to feel a lot of fears. Oh, totally. How did fear shape your interactions when it came to telling people that you were stepping away or you were taking a break? How did fear shape your experiences in those conversations? Mm, I think, you know, it would really depend on the individual circumstance uh, and each relationship. For some people, I didn't really feel a lot of fear in telling them, hey, guess what? Like my beliefs have shifted a little bit. Well, a lot of it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and for other people, it just scares, it's just scared the living daylights out of me. Like, I still haven't had some of those conversations with people, you know, even though they know, like, I, it scares me to think about talking to my grandma, you know, <laughs> about this, you know, and, and things like that, just because of, we are just in such different spaces. And I love my grandma and I don't want her to see me differently. I don't like, mm-hmm. I, it just, it, okay. I'm going to share this experience that I had with my grandma to just kind of illustrate this. But recently I went to a family function and generally when I'm around my family, um, I try to wear clothes that would not give away that I'm not wearing my garments, you know, partially because of that fear aspect, you know, (laughs) like, I just don't want to think about it. I don't want them to think about it. I just want to go and enjoy my time with my family. And at this uh, family function that I went to recently, it was a couple months back, um, I didn't have time to change out of my shorts. And, and so I went in my short shorts and my interactions with my grandma were very, very different during that function than they had ever been previously. Mm. You know, when, whenever I was leaving, whenever, whenever we were taking off, you know, she'd always give me a big hug and be like, you are such a good person, or you are such a good mom, or we are so proud of you or something like that. And during this interaction she like patted me on the back and she's like you be good and I'm like wait what (laughs) so it's things like that that just it makes me even more fearful to have conversations with her because I'm like I'm getting a sense that she really does see me differently now and it would probably be better to just sit down and be like hey grandma so let's talk about this and uh, you know, let's lay it out on the table, but that's hard. <laughs> it is. And it's maybe one day I will be ready for that conversation. And I hope I will be, but it's just, it's difficult. I just want to empathize that it is, it is difficult to approach those conversations, especially when you feel the elephant in the room and you feel that there's been a shift in how you're perceived. I just want to empathize with the fact that it is a very difficult conversation to have. And I recently have been navigating some of my own fears just about how people are going to interpret my podcast and what people are going to think of my podcast. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny because I I don't want what people think of me to matter. (laughs) And yet I think that plays a big role in our fears of bridge building. 
And I recently Mm -hmm. wanted to approach somebody at a family function and say, hey, did you listen to my podcast? I want to know how it affected you specifically. And the whole time I was there with her, I couldn't approach her about it. I was too scared. And I don't know, it was just funny to me because I'm preaching that I've got all these tips to help us overcome these barriers to bridge building. And I even found that I couldn't, (laughs) I was not the example. I couldn't do it in the moment. But I think Daniel Mickelson mentioned practicing having these experiences is what's going to make us better, even if we fumble. And thankfully, I was able to mm-hmm. connect with this person later yeah. and have that conversation. And it was totally fine. But it is really hard to yeah. approach someone when you can sense that maybe they are put off by your decisions. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. But what a glorious moment when you do make that connection, right? Yeah. And oh, then you look yeah. back on your fear and you're like, ha, and you laugh and oh, I laugh in the, in the face of danger. <laughs> like that, exactly. you know, <laughs> I usually hold off on like the tips till later. And we talk more about the issues, but I want to talk a little bit about the tips for dealing with fear, just because it's kind of naturally what I'm about to say. <laughs> And so like when I had the conversation with him, I was so grateful for just the transparency and the honesty. And she's like, Hey, I hope it's okay if I'm transparent. But the reason that I was hesitant to listen to your podcast was because of this thought and this thought and this experience and this, and I was like, wow, okay, thank you for sharing that with me. So I would say being transparent is always helpful But I think that the most important tip I could ever give anybody about overcoming fear through bridge building is to lay down some expectations very transparently. Talk to somebody and say, I want to have a conversation with you to build a bridge. I recognize that we are having different approaches to this issue and this topic. Can I just be frank that I'm not interested in convincing you about anything. And I really don't want you to try and convince me either. So maybe we could just have some safe words. Like in my experience, this is the case. Instead of just saying, this is the case. Let's try and practice Mm -hmm. saying, in my experience, this is this. Or because of what I have learned, I feel this way. And just make sure you're saying, we are going to not use any attacking words about the other person's beliefs or thoughts. I even had a conversation with Amanda, who I did the first podcast with. We were talking a little bit about black and white thinking and Amanda's really awesome and respectful. And so I don't get afraid to build bridges with her, but we were talking about some aspects of black and white thinking. And she said some of the doctrine brings out some black and white thinking that is damaging. And I had to say to her, Amanda, could you please preference it? in my experience or to my understanding, the doctrine is doing this because that feels Mm -hmm. like an attack on my beliefs. And she was so respectful and she's like, oh yes, I didn't mean to say it that way. And so like, it's funny that we think we can't jump in and say, excuse me, but could you rephrase this? It, It makes me afraid when you say it like that, that it's an attack, but we can totally jump in and say that. And if this person is genuinely a bridge builder, they will respect that and they will say, oh yeah, I can phrase it that way. I'm not trying to convince you you're wrong. And I just Mm -hmm. really am grateful to Amanda for doing that for me. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You know, and it, it really comes back to checking your intentions in having those conversations. Right. And, and building instead of tearing down, like, and, and promoting peace over attacking the other person, like you were saying, Amen. because when you are prefacing everything with, in my experience or in my beliefs or in my, whatever it is, you know, using I statements and giving space for another perspective, then that's like, that is naturally going to build the bridge, right? Yeah. Your intentions just really come out in the type of language that you're using. I'm realizing I that's been on my mind a lot lately, just the way that you phrase things. It demonstrates what your intent is. Does that make sense? I think it does. It shows <clears throat> where your mind isn't more than where yeah. your mind is. 
yeah, it shows where your mind is and where it isn't. Um, just the ways in the ways in your phraseology and how you're approaching a conversation. I actually wrote an article recently all about my podcast and why people should be excited about it. I said, do you imagine that someone's over there and you're over here? And so I'm going to build this bridge and I'm going to run over across and I'm going to get them and I'm going to trick them to coming over to my side. And then I'm going to burn the bridge down and I'm going to tie them up and they're never going to be able to go back. And this is the purpose of bridge building. Okay. How logical does that sound? Okay. We need to think of it differently because the purpose of bridge building is to use the bridge, not to burn the bridge. The purpose of bridge building is to go back and forth and reach new destinations that you weren't able to get to before. And the purpose of bridge building is not to convince somebody to come stay on your side. And when people have this fear that they're going to be duped into slowly stepping, they're being vulnerable, they're listening, and listening is vulnerable and it is scary. And so I get it. But if they're really thinking like, if I'm going to go over there and listen to them, they're going to they're going to threaten my beliefs and burn down my side of the bridge and then I'll be stuck and I'll be miserable. You know, that's kind of this underlying fear and assumption that I Mm -hmm. think people confuse with bridge building, but that's not what we do here. (laughs) So I think it really comes down to knowing who you're trying to build a bridge with and can you establish that you have respect for one another enough to say, I'm not going to kidnap you. I'm not going to burn down your home on the other side of the bridge. I'm not even, I'm not worried about whether you stay over here or you stay over there. I just want to be able to cross back and forth with you. Can this be our focus? And once that has been established as your focus, then there's no reason for you to be afraid because you're no longer on the defense or having an expectation that you might be put in danger or jeopardy at any point. Yeah. So the thing that comes to my mind as you're saying that is that in order to let the bridge serve its purpose, you have to realize that there's not a better side of the bridge. Both sides are good and both sides are bad, depending on the way you look at it, depending on what things you're focusing on, and depending on what your own experience is. And I think it's important to recognize that in order to gain respect for the people that are on the other side. That makes me think a lot about black and white thinking again, because that's been on my mind. If you're saying, you know, my side is all good, their side is all bad. It kind of goes back to that question in the beginning that people who are on the same bridge as, as me on the same side might look at me and be like, why do you even want to go over there? Why would you even care? It's because they don't see that there's anything to gain. And the truth is we are, we are all really good people for the most part. And we're all so diverse that there's no reason to assume I've got everything right here. I I am set. I don't need to gain perspective about anything. Yeah. All right. So here's a question for you. Okay. And I'm going to put you on the spot here. In what ways has your perspective expanded since you have had more conversations like this with post members? Hmm. I guess I just think more about what I want to see in active members. I want to see instruction from church leadership about what it means to minister with love and what about what it means to be non-judgmental of those who choose to live differently. I think a lot about making some sort of program to teach members how to be bridge builders, I guess. And I guess you could say that that's like why I'm so mm-hmm. obsessed with doing this right now myself is because I don't feel like anybody else is doing it and it's very important. So I'm not sure if that totally answers your question about how my own perceptions have changed. Okay. It it just makes me feel aware. That's good. A lot more aware of what needs to Mm -hmm. change in terms of what's limiting us from trying and why. I also think a lot about how I think Christ would want us to respond in this situation. And I'm aware of what confirmation bias is, and I know that that exists, but I feel like I really do think that being vulnerable to building a bridge with somebody is what Jesus has represented through his actions. Oh, totally. He was on the earth. 
and that he would want us to be a little bit more brave and a little bit better. And I don't think that he condemns us when we fall short. I think that he goes, well, what can I expect from you? You have the knowledge that you have, and I can't expect you to be living at the level of 1,500 when you're at the level of five. So I think that he's just very patient and I want to be more patient uh, myself in, in seeing how people approach this effort. And I think that we're all hopefully going to try and do a little bit better to emulate that bravery. And if we just clear the air with vulnerability, transparency, and respect, then we don't really need to be afraid. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's so true. Oh, I love it. I love your thoughts. I love hearing, you know, you, you were talking about how, how Jesus himself was a bridge builder and it's so, oh my gosh, like he was the master bridge builder. He spent the majority of his time with people who were marginalized on yep. the outskirts of society, exactly right? building bridges with them. And it's so sad how the people in that day were, um, you know, what, what they would consider themselves the faithful members of of the religion at the time mm-hmm. were the ones that are like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, why do you realize you're sitting with sinners? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know about, we talked a little bit about conference. I don't know if you listened to the one, it was Saturday morning, I think, where the Pharisees watching Jesus as the woman is washing his feet with her hair. And the, mm. it said something to the effect of the Pharisees, holier than thou attitude caused him not only to look down in shame upon this woman who was the sinner, but also to look down upon the savior himself. Wow. Yikes. And oops. If that's, if that's ever been me, um, that just makes me feel like I need to turn it around in a big dramatic way and keep myself out of the judgmental zone and be more open to you know, sitting with that sinner, being there with that person and not being afraid of that sinner or that person, but just loving them and just seeing them mm-hmm. and not really even, you know, sometimes focusing on the fact that they're a sinner. Cause I don't think that's what Jesus was focusing on. Yeah. Oh, totally. Sometimes I think about, okay, if Jesus were literally here right now today, where would he be? Like which groups of people would he be with? Mm. You know, I think you would get a different answer from lots of different people, depending on what their own experiences are. For me, I feel like right. it would be like, with go ahead. some marginalized group. And I wonder um, in what way a person who thinks they're very religious and very altogether, in what way might that kind of tip their understanding of what they thought was acceptable of him? And how can we make sure that that doesn't happen for us? Right. Like if, if we saw him with a certain group, that better not upset us. That better not make us question him. If we saw him with a certain group, we better be on board because who are we to question who Jesus spends his time with? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly. One thing that from, from a member's perspective that I can bring to this conversation, I want to talk about some of the, the fears that our friend, our friend in common, actually, Bethany, she gave these examples. So shout out to Bethany. But she said something really cool about the vulnerability and the fear of even listening and like starting this conversation. She said, sometimes it would make me feel like there's so much going on in the moment that it would be overwhelming to know even how to just listen because there's so much going on in your head. First, you're trying to listen to what they say. You're trying to accept it as their experience. You're also trying to still be true to what you believe. And you're thinking about how can you respond in the best possible way. You're being put on the spot and you feel like you might have to uh, defend your beliefs, not even specifically to that other person. But what if you have to defend your beliefs to yourself? And what if you're required to uh, perform something that Amanda tells me is called mental gymnastics in order to safeguard your beliefs? So basically, there could be so much going on in your head at one point that you get a little bit overwhelmed. And so that could be scary. (laughs) What about from your Mm. side, your perception? Yeah. So I honestly, I would say that a lot of it is the same on 
on my in my perspective is what Bethany is saying here like I am trying to listen to the believer and accept what they are um, stating as their experience and give them space for things that I see differently right I'm trying to give myself space to be true to who I am right and I don't like being put on the spot <laughs> and so it it makes it a little bit scary to be put on the spot and be like okay I hope everybody still sees me as like intelligent after I spill my thoughts you know oh my and goodness yes stumble over my thoughts and anyway and defending my beliefs to myself you know this is one thing that I would say I don't really get scared about defending my beliefs to myself anymore like if there's a reason why I feel like I need to defend my beliefs then maybe I need to question that belief does that make sense yes but I think it's very healthy because I don't think defensiveness comes from a healthy place in your mind so that I'm on board with that probably not probably not and that doesn't mean that I have to give up that belief by any means right? But if I am feeling defensive about my belief, that is rooted in fear, right? Exactly. If I'm having a conversation and somebody says, for example, like that color right there, that's yellow. And I'm seeing blue. If I'm seeing blue and I can tell you for sure, like, I'm pretty sure that's blue, but somebody else is saying, um, no, I'm pretty sure that's yellow. Then instead of being like, no, that's blue. Like I'm right. And you're wrong. And defending, getting defensive about it. Instead of doing that, just trying to think about, okay, where are they coming from? Are they seeing colors differently than I am? Were they taught their their colors differently than I was taught or what, what is the reason for the difference here? Or what is the reason why I think I'm right and they're wrong, you know? And just examining it, letting yourself examine the situation instead of getting defensive about it. Well, I thought about it as instead of being judgmental, it's better to be curious than judgmental. But you're kind of saying it could be the same here for it's better to be curious than defensive. And that's kind of similar Mm -hmm. because you might be judging them as an idiot because they don't think the same way you do. And so instead of judging, you're like, I genuinely am just like interested in like, I wonder why they think. Yeah, because honestly, like thinking about the colors, we as humans literally gave colors their names. Our, the names that we gave colors are literally just something that we made up. So there's nothing inherently about the color blue that means it, it has to be called the color blue. Like somebody else, if they had grown up on a different planet, <laughs> they might have labeled that color blue as something different. You know, right. and that is their different experience that's coming out. Yeah. And when you think about when you are approaching something with a question, it opens you up to getting an answer. If you're approaching something with being defensive, it closes you way down. It shuts you so down from receiving any sort of outside information. And so being closed minded will prevent you from building a bridge even um, even if you feel like you're having to defend something to yourself, it'll prevent you from exploring that and gaining knowledge about it. But if you approach it with mm-hmm. curiosity, even if it's just to yourself, if you're like, I have to wonder why I, ha- why I have this belief, that opens you up to so much learning. Like you said, don't be afraid of sitting in that uncomfortable spot. Don't be defensive and closed about it. And you know, all of that, all of that response, that you're talking about Taylor that is all focused that's all derived from a response of love for the other person you realize that like if you are focusing on the other person how your relationship with them is much more important than being correct in this situation that's love that's charity right and that I would I would argue strongly that is the antidote for fear in this scenario, in any scenario where you're trying to build and strengthen a relationship. If you are focusing on fear, your love will be diminished. If you are focusing on love, then your fear will be diminished. Perfect love casteth out fear. I just wanted to kind of 
point out some of the antonyms and synonyms of fear. For antonyms of fear, we have wonderful love sounding words like assurance, calmness, confidence, ease, trust, love itself is one of them, courage, faith, cheer, and unconcern. And it all just sounds like stuff that puts me at ease. Like I'm, I'm so comfortable hearing those words. But then the synonyms of fear are, and it's like misgivings, anxiety, concern, distress, doubts, jitters, dread, suspicion. I think that's a big one. When you really Mm. don't know if you can trust somebody, then that suspicion is going to lead to this fear, which is going to make you closed off and then you can't build a bridge. So yeah, I think if, if we have this love for this person, then we have a trust, right? And we have respect we got to establish a respect with someone we're going to be a bridge builder so that we know that we're not about to be bombarded or attacked in any way. So how do you know when someone respects you, Emily? Um, I would say that I know somebody respects me when I feel, I feel their worry for me. I feel their concern for my well-being, and that my feelings, my emotions, my thoughts are more of a priority to them than them being right. More important than them being right, I think is the main thing that I want to say there. Have you had a lot of experiences in noticing somebody utilize respect within bridge building since you've made this transition? You gave such a great example of like, I felt fear. (laughs) Do you have any examples of like, I I genuinely felt loved. I genuinely felt respected. I genuinely felt ease when I was building a bridge. Mm. Well, I would say the prime example of that would be like with my husband, because he's Mm -hmm. been, he's been just phenomenal. (laughs) Like I literally could not ask for a better person to walk through this with than him because he is he's very respectful of me and we've worked hard to to grow that respect for one another but our number one priority no matter what is mutual respect and communication I was watching La La Land last night mm-hmm. have you watched that recently Taylor not recently but I've seen it <laughs> Yeah, it's been a while since I've I had to rewatch it because it's been a long time since I've seen it. And you know, it was interesting to to watch their communication between the two of them because they just had really bad communication. <laughs> and <laughs> like, you know, with scheduling conflicts and like uh, what their intentions were and what they wanted and whatnot. Like, like if they just communicated those things, then they would have been much better off. <laughs> and that's how I feel about, well, that's how I feel most movies are. I'm like, mm. just, just communicate better. And then yes. you'll be okay. But then you wouldn't have a story, right? <laughs> yeah. I genuinely all the time say, I hate miscommunication in movies. It's the stupidest reason to ever have a conflict or a climax of the problem like this is so dumb it could have been solved yeah right exactly but what I'm saying with that is that I feel his respect for me when he's willing to sit me down and be like okay I'm not understanding you or I don't think you're understanding me and let's sit down let's let's figure out how do we kick off some of these barriers off of our bridge right (laughs) let's push them into the water so that we can communicate better and we can feel more connected I love it I just want to hear more can you manifest some examples for us so we can be like yeah let's be more like Mm -hmm. emily and her husband if you if you can think of anything specific i think that could help solidify an application if that makes sense let's see so okay we'll we'll take one of the one of the scenarios through my faith transition let's say like my garments for example um when i decided to take off my garments there were there was a lot of conversation surrounding that there was it wasn't him trying to convince me one way or another what I should do it was I will ultimately I want you to feel my support and I want you to do what you feel like is best for you and at the same time it wasn't me being defensive of like I'm gonna do what I want and you can't tell me right right it's my body you know which it is but it's it also affects him. It affects him when 
he sees me without my garments on, especially for a couple months after me taking them off. Like it literally affects him every time that he sees me. So I have to be sensitive to that. <laughs> you know, it, it's important for us to maintain that communication through the, through the process. But I just, I really appreciated how he was willing to sit, sit down with me. And instead of like telling me, telling me everything that I needed to do or know or, or whatever, it was listening. It was giving, giving advice, but not from a stance, not from his stance necessarily, because he, he holds the garments sacred for himself. And so if he held that belief and he, and he held that belief of like, the garments are sacred and therefore you need to wear them, that would be hard for me. I don't have the same reaction to them now that I used to. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the same reaction to them now as, as he does. And so he was not, he wasn't coming at it in a way of like the garments are sacred. And so you should wear them. It was more of like, a, okay, what do the garments represent for you? Right. Mm-hmm. What do or don't they represent for you? And how is that going to lead your decision? So it yeah. was just a very respectful way that he approached it. It wasn't trying to push his own agenda. It wasn't trying to tell me what to do. It was trying to walk me through and help me to understand my own process a little bit better. Let me just share with you what's going through my mind before I lose it. Here's what I think would be the ideal world. In an ideal world, everybody would have such love for everybody else that it wouldn't be weird to share this sort of an intimate conversation with lots of people. And I'm trying to tell you why, because I think that from the experience your husband gained from having this very intimate conversation with you and sitting down and really understanding you is something that he's earned because he's your husband and he gets to be there with you and have the intimate conversations. And that's because your team and he's that person for you. And he has been Mm -hmm. benefited now that he has this respect for you that maybe doesn't naturally come to say your grandma or even to me, like I noticed the first couple of times you, you weren't wearing your garments. And I even was like a little bit affected by that, you know, because I hadn't seen it before and you mm-hmm. can't help but being a little bit right. affected. Um, but like, I, I almost like, I envy him that he had this awakening to see you the way that you are and respect you so perfectly. And I think he earned that through sitting down and through having that conversation. So in an ideal world, there would be so much love between even like not that close of friends that we could genuinely understand how somebody felt about certain issues. And therefore there wouldn't be any reason to judge them because we would understand them and we would just totally love them. And I think that that's kind of the difference of why Jesus sits with the marginalized is because he doesn't have this weird, whoa, you're not wearing your garments thought per se with those Mm -hmm. people. He just sees them and he just knows them because he's earned that intimacy or he just, you know, naturally because of he knows. But I just, in my ideal world, we all would love each other so well that we would be able to have that conversation, see each other that way. And how I wish that we could do that more. Me too. Me too. And we'll do it one step at a time, I think, you know. I think for me, because if we're staying on the the garment topic, I don't know if I'm the only person <laughs> and I'm being super vulnerable here, but it's really easy for me to be looking for garment lines. And like, why does it even matter? Right. Why should it matter? Why are we looking for somebody's garment lines? That's right. ridiculous. That's just It's so stupid. It, and using that as a way to measure somebody up, mm-hmm. it that's the stupid thing. I mean, it's all stupid, but <laughs> but using that as a way to like measure up a person is just ridiculous. Why? Why do we do that? Is that just a Utah thing? I don't think so, but I don't know. But I've heard a couple other people say admittedly that they're ashamed to do that all the time. And like, why do I, why am I garment checking people? Like, it's not any of my business and it doesn't define the measure of a person. So you're definitely not alone in wondering why you do that. And I think we just have silly things ingrained into our minds. And when we have conversations like this, then we help to 
stop those kind of things from happening in the future. Because the more things get talked about, the more of the awareness mm -hmm. is brought. Yeah. And that's the point that I wanted to make with that comment was like, it takes acknowledging it in order to change it. Right. Right. Otherwise we're just kind of stuck in the same routine and we won't, we won't discard the unhealthy habits that we have that are preventing us from establishing a more healthy relationship with somebody. So it's good yeah. to voice it. So thanks for listening to my, uh, you know, my confessions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure. Anytime. <laughs> but... You're welcome. <laughs> Is not I don't know why I said you're welcome. Anyway. <laughs> I'm going to just wrap it up with a couple last minute thoughts, uh, I think for me, and then I'll, I'll extend you the same courtesy to wrap it up with any last words. I think the last words I would want to leave people with when it comes to fear is first to acknowledge that it's universal and it happens to people on both sides of the bridge and not to, to be mad about it. If like you decide, like I have decided many times to, not go approach this person. You know, if you feel like fear kept you from acting in the past, just know that that's okay and we can do better. And let's try and be a little bit better in the future. And the more we practice, the better we'll get and the better opportunities will come to us. So I think that's my, my ending thoughts. What about you? Yeah, I think it's, it's important to remember that the fear response is a natural response that we have, right? And it doesn't make it a bad thing. For example, you know, if we're talking about it from a, an evolutionary standpoint, like fear is literally what kept our ancestors alive. And yeah, to this day, sometimes it, it keeps us alive, you know, but it's when the, that fear is, it's causing rifts in our relationships. That's, that's the problem. Right. And like I, I mentioned this earlier, the more that you focus on love in your relationships, then the more that fear will be cast out. Just love, you know, and what does that look like? Like, what, think about what does love look like? Not just like, oh, I love everyone, you know, it's easy to say it, you know, it looks like really trying to understand a person and not judging them. And it looks like going out of your way to serve this person or to make sure this person feels comfortable or to, or to comfort this person when they are having a hard time, right? Those are signs of love. That is what charity looks like. I agree. You really supplied the fruit to all of that and the, the juicy good <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so the I juiciness. guess in the end, we did make a really beautiful spread of food. <laughs> <laughs> I was, well, you know, now all of our listeners are just going to be really hungry. So sorry, yeah, everyone. I, it was a good ending thought. I like it. The love. Go out there and love people. Knock it off with the fear. When it comes to relationship rifts, you're probably not in danger. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> focusing on love. And if you are, then just know the importance of setting boundaries and keep yourself safe. So mm -hmm. obviously we don't want you exactly. to be in danger. Exactly. You have been awesome, Emily. Thank you so much for your time. And we'll talk to you again, Thank I you. hope. Okay. Bye. Okay. Hey y'all. Time for tidbits and takeaways with Taylor, and I'm doing this in a way that shows great bravery by allowing my child to run free about the house. So if you hear him, then that's probably because he comes inside and talks to me. But anyway, I was so grateful to have this conversation with Emily, and it was probably one of the most organic conversations we've had yet on, on the podcast because we didn't have nearly the amount of structure that I usually bring to an outline. We just kind of let ourselves cover any topic we wanted. So I'm going to try and put some of our tips all in one place for you guys right now and condense that a little bit. So the overall tip is to focus on love for the other person and everything else should fall into place. If you're really seeking to understand them, you're really seeking to learn and you're not trying to prove that you're right are all kind of side effects that will happen if you're focusing on the love for that other person's. If you've let fear keep you from building a bridge in the past, that's okay. Just just start and start now. Okay, next is establish your expectations by setting boundaries. And 
you can use phrases like, according to my experience, I think it's always nice to ask if you can share examples instead of be like, this is my point and here are all my points that back it up and here's my proof as to why I think this way. Instead say, do you mind if I share some examples with you as to why I feel this way and respect if they want to hear them or not. And if they are interested, then ask, how do you feel about this example? You can also say, well, I don't know how I feel about this example. Is it okay if I want to I want to have this conversation? Is it okay if I take some time and think about your examples and then respond later? That might alleviate some fears of being put on the spot. And that's okay to say, can I come back to this? I just need to gather my thoughts and I would love to continue this conversation. So that's fine too, to take a pause and give it a little bit more thought. If you need to call somebody out, if they accidentally mess up by saying an attacking phrase, then go ahead and call them out and say, hey, that was kind of an attack phrase. It didn't make me feel like you were really interested in what I had to say. It made me feel like you were trying to prove a point. So could you rephrase that? Just call them out kindly. Truly seek to understand the other person. Be like Emily's husband trying to understand her perceptions about the garments. I think he is the Golden Bridge Builder Award winner today, and I just made that up. So good job out there, Spencer Salisbury. You're awesome. I want to remind everybody that we've got the awesome Facebook page where you can submit your own tidbits and takeaways and share them with one another. And I love getting your examples. I've had a couple people send me messages about, hey, I applied this new way to react and I love it. So please keep the stories coming. You guys are fantastic. Love ya. Keep building bridges. Thank you for listening. Building Bridges is brought to you by me, Taylor Niebergall and the hardworking volunteers who co-host with me. The music was written and recorded by Bethany Sorensen. If you liked what you've heard, consider submitting a review or sharing it with others. To submit ideas, you can contact me at buildingbridges.taylor at gmail.com or check out our Facebook page, Building Bridges Podcast. Stuck.